Hello, everyone, and welcome to Becker's HIT and RCM virtual event. I'm Gabrielle Mason, reporter with Becker's Hospital Review, and I'll be your moderator for today's session about digital health and its impact on clinical care and the patient experience. With a large portion of the healthcare workforce now remote, patients are expecting streamlined communication, care coordination, and quality care both in person and via telemedicine. Digital transformation and innovation will transform the good healthcare systems into great ones. Before we dive into this topic further, I'd like to ask each panelist to briefly introduce themselves and tell us about their organization. Darren, would you like to start? Sure, thank you, and thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Darren Dworkin, and I have the luxury of being the Chief Information Officer here in Los Angeles at Cedars-Sinai Health System. I've been in that role for about a dozen years or so, and uh, through that, got the opportunity to help lead our information and medical device technology, along with our accelerator and our venture fund and all sorts of fun tasks as we navigate the world of digital health. Cedars is a large integrated system uh, academic medical center that's been around for about 120 years or so. Our flagship hospital has almost a thousand beds and uh, we are uh, certainly keeping ourselves busy these days. I'm sure you are. Well, thank you, Darren. And Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Gabby. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Chris DeFlitch. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a physician. I'm an emergency physician. But uh, my main role at Penn State Health is as the Chief Medical Information Officer. Uh, I've had that role for, it seems like a thousand years, uh, but uh, actually it's been about 15. Um, uh, Penn State Health uh, is a growing uh, health system in Pennsylvania. Our flagship uh, hospital and corporate offices are in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So for those of you out there eating chocolate, thank you. Um, our uh, health system is growing exponentially. Uh, prior to COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID, uh, with the acquisition and building of many hospitals across uh, South Central and, um, and much of Pennsylvania, with a larger extension using our, our telehealth services. So thank you for having Penn State Health. Of course. Thank you both for being here. We're so glad to have you here. Um, with that, we'll just dive right in. Um, Chris, if you want to take it away, um, what potential do AI and machine learning have to free up some physician time. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I think one of the privileges I have is, is actually a practicing emergency physician. So literally yesterday I was taking care of patients in the emergency department and the amount of time that I spend looking for information or uh, collecting information from patients uh, that may not be readily usable to me has always been a challenge. And so uh, the interesting thing about technologies uh, and about machine learning um, is that the, the theoretical has not quite met the practical yet, but it's getting darn close. And so some of the research we do at Penn State University around AI and around machine learning in, in some centers I'm involved with has been developmental and incremental. I think we're really on the precipice of really having real-time gathered information when I'm in a conversation with a patient in a room be able to gather that information, think about what I'm saying, and collect it in a way that makes sense for me as a physician, or my colleagues who are downstream gonna look at that information, as well as trending and tracking information that may be initially free text, converted to discrete, and then be able to think about things uh, from a learning systems perspective. So I think when we think about how we use it, there's components. One is the collection of the data and how it happens. 
And the other one is that secondary use and data presentation for me to use or for other downstream systems to use. We're getting closer. Um, there's a lot of really interesting innovation, uh, both in the EMR space as well as the, the research and developmental space. Um, uh, the, the, the transition to the practical is gonna be the hard piece. Where does it actually get the bang for the buck associated with this activities? I think we've seen some benefit in some of the research we've done and other places have done related to um, the use of AI and data collection and, and secondary data use. But um, how does that fit in the practical day-to-day -day of practices is something we'll, we'll need to be looking at in the future uh, in an informatics space. And how do you foresee your organization? I know you said, um, you know, that the challenge will be the practicality of it, you know, bringing it. How do you foresee your organization handling that challenge? Yeah, I mean, I, it's such a great question. I, I think that the, the, the challenges um, are, uh, where does it make the most sense? Where is the value brought to bear for the patient? Where's the value brought to, to, to bear for the health system using this technology? Lots of technologies, you know, are out there and they're sort of in the ethereal, but where does it come to the practical, right? So I could see um, uh, interactions between me and my patient being collected and recorded in a way such that I can use it saves me from having to recall, retype, having a scribe in the room with me, um, having other people who may need to manipulate the data in a way that uh, could be done with some smart systems and, and learning. Um, so I, I see that's where the space could go. Um, question, is it valuable in all those spaces? Is it valuable in some spaces? Could you see more benefit in, um, in a primary care setting or a um, a psychosocial heavy setting compared to uh, uh, maybe a procedural setting? I, I don't know the answer to that, but the exciting part about being involved in healthcare nowadays is that we actually get to think about it. We actually maybe even get to try out some of those things. And um, it's really about how technology is used smartly more than it is about the technology itself. I mean, that's the world of informatics. And obviously I'm biased as a, as a CMIO that that interplay between the technology and the clinical is really where the sweet spot in healthcare is. And um, it's great uh, to have these advancing technologies. Uh, it's even better to have them practically available. Absolutely. Darren, I'd love to hear what you have to say as well. Sure, well, maybe uh, I, I agree with everything Chris just offered up and maybe just sort of building on that. Um, you know, there, there's two or three uh, different, I think exciting areas where we're really starting to see AI and machine learning starting to sort of hit the scene. I'll start with the one that's been around the longest. Um, I think that we formally knew it as clinical decision support. Um, it may have a little bit of a bad rap uh, with uh, too many alerts uh, too often and maybe at the wrong time, uh, but really leveraging sort of AI, I think that we're starting to see the next generation of really deeper clinical decision support, which at its core was about getting uh, information to the right people at the right time in the right setting. And I think there's just inherent and natural time savers to be able to solve what is that looking up. You know, it's uh, a little bit ironic is that in the early days of rolling out electronic medical records, we made a really big deal about one of the big savings was going to be, was be easy to find everything. I think as we look maybe 10, 15 years later, and we look at the size of these individual records, we now going to need some finders and, and ways to sort of find that. So I think AI is going to help sort of in that way. So that's probably the first dimension. Um, the second is, um, you know, this emerging theme 
of can the computer actually take care of some tasks automagically? Um, you know, certainly lots have been written around the idea that in U.S. healthcare in particular, uh, the note seems to be just a little bit larger. Um, you know, you can choose whether- A little you bit to... larger. Darren, you're killing me. <laughs> These things, uh, they're like crazy massive. I can't get anything out of them. They, they, they are quite big. And, and I think <laughs> that folks are really sort of starting to really try to understand what the, uh, you know, the legal and the regulatory barriers are in place that are really sort of bloating up those notes uh, as big as they are. And I think AI and machine learning have a great ability to maybe uh, simplify what's really real. Um, I saw some recent technology that um, with just the click of a button removes all the information in the note that was copied and pasted. And so instantly, as you could imagine, it sort of brings it down to sort of what you really sort of need to know. So I think those are some real and sort of practical ways. The last piece um, that, you know, uh, Chris, you were sort of mentioning, and I hope we see it sooner rather than later, although I agree with you that it's going to be a while, is this sort of emerging field of ambient listening. I don't know, at least for me, um, ever since I was a kid and sort of watched those early uh, versions of Star Trek and sort of computer automatically doing things, we've sort of wanted to get there. Um, I think we're starting to see the very, very early, um, you know, sort of prospects of that, but it probably will be a while, but still gives me great hope that um, we're going to start to see maybe technology solve some of these problems and not maybe just be another add-on. Yeah, Darren, I think you're. I think you're right on. Um, there's, there's a. I mean, you know this in healthcare. There's a lot of evidence that exists out there, but for it to get practically down into the use in context of me as an individual physician, and how do I help take care of that patient better? We used to call clinical decision support. A lot of it is soft, whether it's data in context. Show me what I need to see when I need to see that, or it's maybe a little bit more uh, nudgy, uh, if that's even a word. Um, where make it a word you order in that or should I not be ordering that right and and those things are in place and and some physicians would say that's really a barrier others might say boy if you could do it in a smart way data in context to make sense to me that's really an enhancer so I, I'm, I, I think we're right on the same page and I, I got to tell you note bloat is a great word and um, I won't disclose the health system that told me about this but one of them told me that they found in their electronic record, an H&P that printed out 92 pages. And when they found how that person created it, they used good information for the first paragraph, but then they click one button that said include all. And you know what that means in the health systems. You're just bloating the note up without actually getting the value. And I think at the end of the day, what we do in healthcare and healthcare IT is enable people to take care of people, physicians, and patients together, whether it's virtual or whether it's together, technology can really enhance that and sometimes peripherally, but sometimes it's a barrier. And I think that's where we, we got to continue to work to enhance that interaction between the people. Well, I want to go off what you just said then, you know, about enabling and you're there to optimize. Um, so how can digital health tools help optimize EHR workflow? Darren, I'll direct the question at you first. Sure. I mean, look, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll go back a step and sort of combine it with something we were just talking about. And, and I think that there's a lot of things that digital can do. There's a lot of things that we can do with the EHR. But the reality is that we have to make sure it's sort of well governed and we sort of have our intentions right. And what I'm worrying about increasingly 
is that uh, making sure that we really understand all of the unintended consequences of some of the things that we put in place. You can have a safety group with all of the best of intentions deciding that a series of hard stops are really, really important because we really, really want a piece of information to be looked at. You can have a regulatory group take a look at a, a hard stop and say, I really need this filled out. Um, you know, I sat recently in a health equity committee meeting where we really were, uh, the group was very passionate about how we can collect more information around the background of the patients that we were treating so we could better, um, you know, guide our care to them. And out of those very good intentions came the idea to collect a whole bunch of more mandatory fields. And so it's really important as in particular with AI and machine learning coming down the pike, as the machines get more powerful and we can do more with them, we really have to make sure we get our arms around governance. And, you know, uh, I, unlike Chris, I, I don't see patients and I don't practice, I'm not a physician, but it's really important to get people like Chris in the room and his colleagues so that they can sort of talk about what it means when you're turning something on and off. And as these systems, in particular the HRs, become a lot more configurable and we have all these new levers and dials to turn, um, it's both a, a blessing and a curse. We have to make sure that we're doing it sort of in all the right way. And, and I just offer that up because, uh, you know, sitting in the CIO seat, everybody's solution is often another application, another tool that we can sort of bring. And I'd really just sort of uh, maybe sort of uh, throw a little bit uh, into the pot here to advocate for, I think we got to finish figuring out how to use what we have really well. And then maybe we can add more to the table. Um, and I think, um, you know, the right type of governance is probably the best way, in my view, to fine tune the workflow. Yeah, and Darren, I, I, so I'd argue with you because I think you do take care of patients. I think that CIOs and analysts are at the core of the care of the patient because you're right. How systems are configured, how you govern, how we govern how systems are used has so much of an impact on the individual care. Now, a long time ago, you know, when we had pieces of paper and pencils and you know, things like that in between. There wasn't much between the patient and the physician, but today there's a lot of technology, some really enabling, some very helpful. So I do, I think, I think, um, I think CIOs and I, I think that analysts and I think that uh, healthcare information technology leaders really do care for patients and the consciousness of that, of that build, the consciousness of that design, the ease of use uh, to help out the patient and help out the physician, I think is, is really enabling. Um, you know, I sort of switch it to to think about how can technology enable and empower the patient to get the right care, you know. So um, while uh, it is important to be in context for the physician and making those decisions or the nurse or the respiratory therapist, I think consumerism in healthcare is such an important piece to actually move the mountain such that we can provide data in context and in words that patients understand so when they come have to their, their conversation with their physician, they're ready to have a, a question and answer. They don't go to Dr. Google for the answer. They actually have their interaction with their own providers and their own health systems with their own data. And they're armed with good information. And I think that's a challenge inside of a, a, a data rich, but maybe information poor system when you talk about, you know, large charts and note bloat and, and all those other things that are driven by 
you know, regulatory finance, quality, et cetera. Absolutely. I'm glad we have both of you here coming from slightly different angles. Um, we'll get a more holistic approach. And I, I like the, you know, differing opinions as well. It's great. Um, so Chris, can you talk a little bit about predictive analytics potential to improve the patient experience? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a little, little pipe dreams inside of here sometimes. Um, you know, I, I um, uh, I'm involved and I started a center at Penn State University uh, called CHOT, the Center for Healthcare Organizational Transformation. And um, we have expanded that center through NSF uh, to include a number of universities across the nation and actually across the globe um, to be able to think about how healthcare delivery systems are designed and to be able to uh, move uh, the mountain, if you will, in delivery systems. Technology has a lot to do with that. Data analytics has a lot to do with that and the logical progression to say, if you have good data collection, if you have good data governance associated with that activity and some rigor around that activity, um, you can actually start modeling out activities and prediction, whether it's resource utilization or uh, modeling of uh, pandemic spreads or uh, predicting use of uh, building um, a telehealth presence in a certain market related to it. I think that how we do that is really important and that these true predictive analytics, if we can get to true predictive analytics, I mean, some of them are just reports that are adjusted, okay? That's a big difference between that and actually putting them into models that predict what will what potentially will happen or the likelihood of these activities to happen. Um, these models are growing. Uh, some of them, you know, build upon traditional uh, industrial engineering techniques and principles. Some of them built over uh, more advanced um, logic uh, principles in, in computer science. Um, I think where we get to is that if we can detect, it goes back to the old uh, mantra of, of preventative medicine, right? If you can identify risk factors and identify opportunities for improvement early, you can probably make an impact downstream uh, related to it. Now, the question is, how do you make an impact when you predict those sort of things? We, we can get, and I know this is a healthcare information technology sort of discussion, but at the end of the day, there's so much about food insecurity, there's so much about living situations, there's so much about social determinants of health that are so impactful related to the prediction of disease or the anticipated outcomes of those, um, that I think maybe we should be focusing a little bit more on the holistic approach to the patient. So to answer your question, it's a lot of talk, but to answer your question, it's the patient experience. So when I talk about that, I talk about what is my experience as a person, not a patient, not um, a disease entity or there, what do I need to do to improve my health with my family, my well-being? my, you know, um, mindfulness, my, you know, food insecurity relations, my, how can I help out my community, all the things that are important to me. So I think we combine market share data. I think we combine clinical data. I think we combined um, uh, access to uh, resources in the community and that together may actually make an impact on what's needed, but it's gotta be put in the hands of the patient. It's gotta be put in the hands of the patient. They're the ones that are gonna drive this, uh, this change. Thank you. And I really agree. I mean, this public health crisis, the pandemic has exposed how interconnected all of our systems are more than any 